0: Uh, Thank you, Brother Eric, joy to minister with you today, hope you brought your Bible. I want you to turn to two places in the middle of your Bible, in Proverbs, the book of Proverbs chapter 28, I'm sorry, 27, and then I want you to locate the book of Jude. Jude is the next to the last book in the Bible, right before Revelation. So turn to Proverbs chapter 27 and then the book of Jude. And we will look there <clears throat> in just a moment. I want to uh, just make a mention about our couples conference. It's February the 24th of the 26th. in Pigeon Forge, the information is uh, in the little program bulletin that you were given this morning. The details are there. Uh, there is an extension on the um, block of hotel rooms. Uh, it was to be... Close down on Monday. That will be through this coming Friday, so about an extra week on that. And when you do call, make sure that you have the hotel on site at Pigeon Forge. Uh, You'll call the number, uh, the numbers we have published, and then sometimes if they're busy, they will reroute you to their kind of their national number. And don't you don't want to deal with them? You want to deal with the, the hotel on site because they've got all of our information. And uh, they will help you better. So uh, we really want you to come. It's a, a life-changing weekend. It's a lot of fun. But uh, more than just some instruction and help about marriage, it's about life and uh, encouraging time. Um, just I, I can't express it, uh, but it's, it's very, very good. I found that once people come, they come back again and again and again. And you will enjoy that, okay? Before we uh, look in the Bible here, I want you to think about your, your best friend, best friends. <clears throat> That's not a lot. You have a, a lot of friends, but you have a handful of, of best friends. I want you to think about those best friends. <clears throat> Get them in your mind. I want to tell you one of the dominant qualities of your best friends and talk about that this morning in your prayer life. One of the primary qualities of your your best friends is that they tell you difficult truths. Your best friends tell you things that nobody else will tell you. Now, they don't tell you these things to embarrass you. They tell you these things to help you. They don't tell you these things to harm you, but to protect you. And they tell you these things because they love you. Now, the wisest man that ever lived besides the Lord Jesus Christ, here's what he said. You have your Bible open there in Proverbs chapter 27. Look at verse 5, if you would, Proverbs 27, 5. Open rebuke is better than secret love. Open rebuke is better than secret love. In other words, having someone say, oh, I'm for you, I'm for you. But it's better to to be rebuked publicly and, and to learn something and to grow than to just have someone always say they're supporting you. Now watch this. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. A friend will wound you. Now, not all of the time. If you had someone that's wounding you all the time, they're not your friend. But occasionally, occasionally a friend will wound you with the truth, and they don't do it gladly. Uh, someone said uh, one of the measuring sticks for don't want to say it, you probably ought to. And if you want to say it, you probably don't need to. Because if you want to, you're angry. But if you don't want to, it maybe ought to be said. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. The idea there is that there are some that are always offering up uh, flatteries and so forth, and they have an agenda. Now in verse 6 there, in Proverbs 27, when the Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, it has the idea of a faithful friend, a true friend. A faithful friend will tell you the truth even if it's unpleasing and it's difficult for you and it harms you initially. Uh, several years ago, in fact, decades ago, I heard this statement, and it's always helped me, where a man said this. He said, you learn more from, from one rebuke than 1,000 affirmations. And that's true. Now, I believe, the, and the Bible teaches we need to affirm people. You need to do that. But we rarely learn, rarely learn from affirmations. You learn more from one rebuke than a 1,000 affirmations. And uh, yet, typically, when we're rebuked, whether it's in a sermon or privately uh, by a friend or others, we don't want to listen to that, but that's what the wise person does. Now, look over on the next page in your Bible, in Proverbs chapter 28. Chapter 28, look at verse 23. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 23. He that rebuketh a man... Afterwards shall find more favor than he that flattereth with the tongue. Uh, Flattery is very popular today, yet the Bible uh, warns against flattery. Now, what is flattery? Flattery is insincere praise. Uh, The motive of of flattery is is an agenda to further the person's agenda or, or personal interest is given it. So, so I am I am giving you this insincere praise to set you up for something that I want to gain an interest that I have. He that rebuketh a man afterwards shall find more favor than he that flattereth with the tongue. Now that's interesting, isn't it? He that rebuketh a man shall find more favor. Now I have this word underlined and circled. I was showing Aubrey this verse uh, this past Week, I was sitting down and I said, Come over here. I want to show you how I study the Bible. And I uh, opened up my computer and I was focusing on this verse. And I said, Every word is important. And uh, I spent about 10 minutes with her on this verse. I said, Look at this. He that rebuketh a man, I said, Look at it afterwards, not currently. Oh, thank you so much, boss, for correcting me honey, thank you so much for for correcting me. No, it says, he that rebuketh a man afterwards shall find more favor. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Coach, thank you for helping me with that. I didn't appreciate it when you were on me, but uh, I got a scholarship because you corrected some things. Thank you for helping me with my character. He that rebuketh a child he that rebuketh an employee he that rebuketh an athlete he that rebuketh a church member afterwards shall find more favor than he that flattereth with the tongue now this has a, a full range of things let me show you how this works and you will say yeah yeah i see that now from telling your friend we've been talking about friendship here uh that they have bad breath to that they've been mispronouncing a word to they have an annoying habit now you don't tell everybody that in fact if you tell everybody that you are the annoyer you're the annoyance (laughs) you you just can't do that you don't want to be that person but when you really love someone and you know hey listen you you need to watch this Now, I have very few people in my life that that do this because it's it's so personal. And chief among them is my wife. In fact, I wrote down these things because she's told me all of these things. Oh, oh, Rick. Oh, you've got a sinus infection. Well, honey, does it smell like a copper penny? Oh, that and more. Oh, yes, yes, you've got a sinus infection. Come over here, baby. Let's check real quick, cl- just, just to make sure. <laughs> Dude, there have been occasions, thankfully not many occasions, but there have been occasions where she said, you mispronounced that word in church this morning or in a conversation. I did not. Yes, you did. And she'll smile. Yes, you did. And then immediately, I know, I know she's right, but I don't want to admit it. And so I kind of play along and then realize, yeah, I mispronounce it. So you, you have this little habit that when you get up there and you have this cough drop in your mouth and you're preaching, that we can't listen because everybody's watching to say, what, what is that? Is he got a chaw to back up there? What is he doing up there? Well, honey, I, I can't. My throat is so, so raw. It's like, well, it doesn't matter. You've got to. And you need somebody to help you with these things. I remember we we had a young man that was uh, preaching here uh, in our ministry. He was he was really young. He wanted to be a pastor. and uh, So I'd let him preach some. And uh, and whenever he got up, he had a little habit. And everybody has these little habits, but he wanted to be a pastor. So he would get up and he'd say, now, in, Prover- in Proverbs chapter 28... The Bible says he'd start playing with his wedding band. And uh, and 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 the Bible says this and so for thirty minutes he played with his wedding band, he talked to us. Now guess what everybody was doing? He's been playing with his wedding band the whole time. So we would debrief later and I'd say now, now that, and first of all I'd say, Hey, you did a great job. Your introduction was stellar and, and here I got your big idea. But there's one thing I want to help you with, and I said you don't even know you're doing it. And first of all, I would tell him my habits to let him know that I have problems. And I share some. I'm not telling you mine because you already know them. And the ones you don't know, you'll pick them up and say, "Oh, he does do that." Um, I told Aubrey, uh, her pastor that she has down in Pensacola. I said, "Have you ever noticed that your pastor every sermon?" he'll ask a question and have the people raise, he said, how many of you have, and have him raise your hand. She said, he does, he does that every sermon, doesn't he? I said, yeah. She said, I've never noticed that. And so she'll text me in the middle of the sermon and say, he did it again. He asked us, how many of you have eaten rhubarb pie? How many of you have? And she said, how do you do that? I said, well, I'm a preacher and I listen for things because I know that people watch me and I try to knock those things down. Now please just let my wife do this. Do, don't do don't you do it. Just let her do the surgery. And so the next time uh, my young preacher would get up, he would start playing with and he'd look at me and he'd put his hand down and he'd start preaching. And then ten minutes he'd get nervous again. He got better about it. All of us have idiosyncrasies. But even more so when we're about to make bad decisions now if you don't have friends like this you're in trouble you're in bad trouble now church is in trouble too church is in trouble if they don't have a pastor and teachers in the church that fail to balance their preaching with truth and love there needs to be both truth and love now the Bible says in Ephesians chapter four in verse fifteen, it's a charge to those that speak in the church and really an attitude in the church, uh, even in our conversation in the home and other places in the church. But speaking the truth in love, speaking the truth in love, and then it says, "May grow up into Him." That's Christ in all things which is ahead. Uh, Even Christ. And then it goes on in the passage and talks about spiritual maturity. And here's the idea there will be no spiritual maturity if there's no truth, but there will be no spiritual maturity if there's no love. Um, Keith Miller, a writer, said this uh, truth without love is brutality, but love without truth is hypocrisy. And there's a balance. It's not either or, it's both and. I've heard preachers that were really good with the truth. They had a lot of truth but no grace. And I've heard preachers that were that were all love. And we have a great movement today and I'll say Christianity. I don't know how much of it, when you're bereft of the truth, you don't have Christianity. We're all, let's just huddle up and hold hands. And, you know, it's, it's all about love. It's truth and love. And uh, some of my brethren, and said, "Well, the most important, the most important thing is truth." I said, "It is." I said, "Do you have a Bible?" Yes. Well, let's let's look in the truth of the Word of God. In Ephesians chapter four and verse fifteen, the truth says, "Speak the truth in love." That's the truth. Well, the most important thing is yes, it is, and the truth says for you to speak the truth in love. So it's not either or, it's both and. You need to be, the the Bible says in Luke 4, I think it's in verse uh, around 16, somewhere around there. It says that when Jesus spoke, he spoke graciously. He spoke graciously. And he also spoke words that people wanted to kill him. The Bible says in Titus 1, I think it's verse 7, that a pastor is not to be soon angry. He's not supposed to be angry up here are out there so which is it it's both speak the truth and love and let me transition right here because i want to talk to you about evangelism i kind of set the the front porch i want to go in the living room now not only will it affect you personally if you don't have some truth tellers in your life it'll affect the church if you don't have truth in the church Your efforts to reach people with the gospel are in trouble if there's an absence of truth because people cannot be saved without the truth. People need the truth. People, you can't be saved. You were not saved without the truth. And if your daddy's lost, he needs to hear the truth. The people at work need to hear the truth. The Bible says in John chapter 8 and verse 32, "Ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Two times the word truth is used there, knowing the truth, and then the truth liberates a person. It's not just coming to church, it's hearing the truth. This is why I study the Bible. I want to expose the truth. This is why we look at, I've never counted them, dozens of verses This is why we just don't throw them up there. This is why I explain them. And I said, look at this word. This is what this word means. Because it's the truth. You need to know what the truth means. This is why I apply the truth. This is why I illustrate the truth. And I tell stories so that when you leave, you'll say, oh, that's how that works. So you will know the truth, so the truth shall make you free. Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's only one way to heaven, and that's through the Son of God. And that's what the world hates. They hate that exclusivity. Oh, we need to be inclusive. Well, I'm sorry, you don't get a vote on that. This is the truth. Jesus died. He was buried. He rose again. That's the gospel. And He did it so that you could be redeemed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Jesus and I am the way, the truth, and the life. Only one way, He's the truth, and that out of that comes life. You cannot be saved until you're lost. And you do not realize you're lost until you're confronted with the truth of the gospel. I remember when I, when I first realized that I was lost... I was nine years old. I grew up in church. We didn't have children's church. We didn't have any type of a children's club, nothing like that, to help us memorize verses. And so now you can learn truth earlier. We, we, we're not privy to that. I think if I would have died the week before, I would have gone to heaven because I was not accountable for my sins. Are you listening to this at nine years old? Unbelievable. But I, I didn't understand. I had never rejected Christ. That's why a person goes to hell and say, reject Christ. I' had never rejected Christ. I didn't know the truth. I, I had never come to where I'd rejected light, but when the light came upon my soul that I am accountable for my sin and listen carefully, I encountered truth and I, w- I was miserable. For a week, I wanted to be saved. I wanted this load off of me. Someone said, "The truth will set you free, but first it'll make you miserable." And that's what happens when you have when you have friends, when you have a husband, a wife, a mom, or a dad, a brother, or a sister, or an employer, and they give you truth. I don't like that. You become miserable. It's going to set you free if you listen to it truth makes us uncomfortable because we don't want to align with it and, and we fear rejection. We don't want to tell people that they're lost. We don't want to tell them there's only one way. We don't want to tell them that they're sinners and that sin brings a penalty and the penalty is eternal death and that if they do not receive the antidote which is Jesus Christ and his crucifixion and resurrection that they're going to Die and go to a crisis eternity, to a place called hell. We, we don't want to tell them that because we feel I, I may risk the relationship. But the truth is the, the people that you're closest to are the people with what you have ideals in common with. And there's a spiritual unity. There, there's something that you have in common with, with the family of God, with truth. So truth confronts error it exposes error, and, you, and you, must, you must respond to it. You either reject it, or you correct what it exposes. In John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, Jesus said this, this is a condemnation that light is coming to the world. But men, look at this, men love darkness. They love ignorance. They love their sin rather than the light. Because their deeds were evil. When when I think about this verse, I think about going out on a summer day and seeing a rock, a big rock in the backyard. And I pull that rock up and all of a sudden there's a bunch of roaches under there. And they begin to scatter. The light exposes them. They begin to scatter. They can't stand the light. That's what I think of. It's visual to me. I don't know what you think about. I don't know if their deeds are evil, but I just see they can't stand the light. You know it's it's been it's been proven that's probably the percentage is less now, but it still is true that more crimes are committed at night under the cover of darkness because men think that people can't see them, that God cannot see them, because they want to hide. Even when they even when they sin, unless they're brazen and they're reprobate. They try to hide. They put masks. They they try to hide their face from the cameras. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. They hate exposure. They hate the truth. That's another word for truth is light. Neither cometh to the light lest his deeds should be reproved. One of the greatest needs in the church today is a lack of involvement in reaching people with the gospel. And And here's the reason right here. We don't try even though heaven and hell is at stake because we feel like, well, I'm not good with this. So, Brother Rick, he's been to school. He's been trained. And Tim and Daniel, they've been trained. And other people in the church have been saved. They're better at it. No, no. listen, if you've been saved and you have the truth, you're to tell people the truth. And let me help you with this right here. I prayed about this as I... I this message, and that my spirit will be right. Not that it's a bad message, but I don't want you to think you're to go out of here just and to be obnoxious. But when you do this, it's more in a conversation than a memorized script. You know, the most productive convert, the most productive fruit I've had has been in the context of a conversation. When you study Jesus' evangelistic methods, every single one of them was different. It wasn't a memorized script. Every one of them was different, and every every person he talked to didn't come to faith either. They all had a different response. It's not your you're not responsible for the response. You're responsible to to share the truth. Did you know that there's hope? Did you know there's hope for this? You, you can get help. A few weeks ago, I told you about. Uh, Going out to eat, I was out, had a meeting with uh, Tim, and uh, I paid the bill, and lady came back, and she was greatly troubled. She, she was almost shaking. She had tears in her eyes, and she looked at me. She knew who I was because I'd been in that restaurant before, and she'd waited on my family, and she said, Please pray for me. She, my husband died eight months ago. I said, I will pray for you. I'm so very sorry. She was busy. I wrote her name down in my phone, and uh, I've been praying for her. This past week, Paula and I went out to eat. She said, where do you want to go? I said, let's, let's go to this restaurant. So Paula was driving. She said, you go ahead and get out and go in and get us a place to eat or a place to sit. We went back to the same restaurant. So I opened my phone up, I found her name. I asked people, I said, Is this lady here? I mentioned her and said, Yeah, she has a place. So we sat down. And she waited on us again. And again, she was very, very busy. She was a little bit preoccupied. Remember what I told you about a conversation? This is not linear where you go just from A to Z. Sometimes it's A to B, you take a step backwards, but you become familiar with people. You, you just, you love people. You just, you're there, you're available. You just hang around. This is message I'm trying to give you. It's not, when I talk about giving the truth, there comes a time you must give them the truth. But there must be proximity And you want to win your friends and your loved ones. But sometimes God brings you in the path of people. And there must be proximity. Howard Hendricks said this. He said, in the midst of a generation screaming for answers, Christians are stuttering. We have the truth. Prayer helps us to become occupied with eternal things. It also gives us the ability to operate within those matters. Prayer does. And I know some of you, you hear this, you say, Boy, preacher, I I, I can't do this. Yes, you can. But listen, you don't do it by memorizing a script. You do it by praying. Praying for people makes a difference in reaching them. Let me give you some thoughts again today as we talk again about how to pray for lost people how to pray for lost people. Last week I said to pray with compassion. I I want you to look in Jude today and, and notice in verse 22, because it's not just compassion that reaches lost people, it's compassion that accompanies truth. They've got to hear the truth. But we have such a hard time with both of them. Jude, the book of Jude deals with apostates. These are people that have rejected the truth. We live in a day of apostasy today. People that used to believe the truth, they don't believe it anymore. And at the end of the book here, he's telling them on how to respond to these people that used to believe the truth, but they've rejected it. In verse 22, and he says, And of some have compassion making a difference. This is the first group of people. Have mercy upon them. Have compassion upon them. It makes a difference. They still need the truth, but be tender with them. The second level is there in verse twenty three. And others, here's the second group of people, watch this, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. What does that mean? This is these are people that are so far gone that they're almost in the fire of hell they're really not interested in the truth and the Bible there says to to save them with with fear in fact when you get with within them within realm of them you need to be respectful you need to give them the gospel not just with an attitude of respect but you need to be careful pulling them out of the fire the, the words pulling out there mean to seize to take by force. These are people that aren't just reached by compassion. They they need compassion. But the, these people need a firm word. And then there's a third group of people. In the second half of verse 23. Hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. The word hate there means to despise. I... I I despise the garment spotted by the flesh. Now what does that mean? This is very graphic words that the writer Jude Jesus brother uses here. There are a couple of words used for garment. There's an outer garment, there's an inner garment. And this is for this is the word for the inner garment. And we'll be very Frank, when I express this, because I need to, to to show you what the Holy Spirit has given to us here. Hating, despising even the, the inner garment or the undergarments. And the word spotted has to do with soiled. If you'll allow me to say this, it has to do basically with dirty underwear is what he's saying. And here's what he's saying. He's making an analogy between what doctrine, what false doctrine can do to a person. It's an analogy. It's an illustration. And he says you need to despise what false doctrine, not the person, but the effect of that false doctrine. Starts with compassion. Be compassionate on everybody. But there's some you're going to have to pull out. And then there's, there's some that are so far gone that the Bible says this. They don't just need a stern warning. They are so enmeshed in it that the doctrine has been so progressive that it has been destructive. Listen, this is serious business. Some of you, I, 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 my heart goes out to you. Because of the things, not just that you hear at work and at school. It's not just the words you hear, but it's what you put up with. And these levels, because you say, well, boy, that doesn't work with old Joe at work. But this very picturesque, even grotesque language here. Because these people have sold out to the flesh and to false doctrine. And they don't know it. They all need love and they need truth. But you need to be careful. You need to be truth tellers. Someone said the same sun that melts the butter hardens the clay. And here's the idea. The same message that brings other people to Christ hardens the heart of other people. The issue is not the message. The issue is not the gospel. It's condition of the heart. The issue is not the sun. It's a condition of the soil. The same sun that melts the butter hardens the clay. I can preach the gospel, and some people are melted. and I need that. I'm broken. I need Christ. And there are other people that it doesn't bother them. I don't need that. And we lived in a world that, that is bereft of truth. Now, people tend to fall on one side or the other. Listen carefully; they tend to fall on in evangelism or preaching. They tend to fall on. They're very gracious, or they're they would say they're very truthful. I would say they're brutal. There's a difference in being truthful and being brutal. You say, well, which is it? It's it's not either or it's both. You, you you don't you tell the truth, speak the truth, and love. Do that in your vein. Have have kind conversations, but never, never, never compromise the truth. Someone said this, and I agree with him. Listen to this. If truth is not undergirded by love, it makes the possessor of that truth obnoxious and the truth repulsive. You know, some people say, well, they rejected the gospel. No, they rejected you. You see, there's a sense where that the messenger becomes the message. That's in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 2. You're the only Bible some people read. And and we're to be shaped by the gospel. Our hearts are to be shaped by the gospel. Be a truth teller. And what I want to give you today concerns your prayer life, praying. Praying for lost people makes a difference. It's the initial step in evangelism. How do you pray for lost people? Well, Last week I said to pray for compassion. There are six ways you pray for lost people. The first three ways are, are topics you pray for yourself. Before you pray for them, pray for yourself. And I just want to give you one other idea today. Pray for compassion, number two. And this is where I've been heading with this idea I've already kind of set up. Number two, pray for boldness. Pray for boldness. Pray for compassion and pray for boldness. And we have taught you here in our church that evangelism is not an event it's a process salvation is an event people are saved instantaneously in a moment but evangelism like a harvest is a process the seed is sown it's harvested it's cultivated, the land is cultivated and then it's harvested and we've Use this little acronym CPR to cultivate, to plant, to reap. And we have, there's different ways to cultivate. Part of the cultivation is prayer. It's the best thing you can do is to pray. But the planting is the planting of the seed of the Word of God of the gospel. And this is where you need boldness. There comes a time when you when you have got to give them the gospel. They're not going to get saved with the gospel. People are not saved by your life. They're saved by Christ's death. They're not saved because you go to church or because you're nice or because you say prayer over lunch. Those are all good things. But they're not saved because of your life. They're saved because of Christ's death and his resurrection. It involves giving them not just the good news of the gospel, but the bad news that precipitates the good news. say, so what do you mean? Well, people don't appreciate the good news till they hear the bad news. Sometimes I'll come to Paula, and I say, well, honey, I have some good news, and I have some bad news. Which do you want to hear first? Well, people don't appreciate the good news because they haven't heard the bad news. John chapter 3 and verse 36, the Bible says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. That's good news. We have everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. Now look at this. But the wrath of God abideth on him. But if you do not know Christ, watch this. The wrath of God abides, abides... Present tense on you now. That's the bad news. That means if you're lost, you're under the penalty and the condemnation and the wrath of God. And you must flee, as John the Baptist said, to flee from the wrath to come. And you can use it in other language uh, or other words. Maybe not in other language, but there's a, a ton of ways you can express that. But let them know that there is a penalty That's why I use Romans 6.23 often. Romans 6.23 is is one of the clearest expressions of the gospel. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. People will not appreciate the gospel until they see the need for the gospel. Now, so you need to pray for boldness to give this message. Now listen carefully. Boldness is not brashness. It is not harshness. It is a willingness to tell the truth. Boldness comes when you ask God for it. Now listen listen carefully to what I'm saying. Boldness is not your personality. That's not Holy Spirit boldness. In fact, personality... Alone tends to abrasiveness. People that have bold personalities are not effective witnesses because their personality is not harnessed by the Holy Spirit of God. Well, I wish I was bold like them. Oh, really? I remember I, I had a, a good friend and he was he was so funny. I, I just loved being around him. I said, Joe, I wish I wish I had your humor. He said, no, you don't. I said, yes, I do. He said, no, you don't. He said, if you knew how many times I say things I should not say. He said, everything I see is funny, and, and because of that, I say things I should not say. He said, you do not want my personality. <laughs> and I never forgot that. And I think sometimes we see people that are bold and I wish I, had, I wish I had that. Maybe you don't. Maybe maybe some of you that, that are listening to me that are, are kind of pushing, say, I can't do what you're talking about. You, You're the one that when the Holy Spirit gives you boldness, that there's a beauty to it. That there is a restraint to it because it's governed by love and it's not brutal. Now, turn to Acts chapter 4 if you want to look at this. And I think the verses will be on the screen, but if you want to mark these verses, this may be helpful. Let me show you one chapter how this is used. In Acts chapter 4, look at verse 13. Uh, Peter had been thrown in jail with some of his cohorts. They had been preaching. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 8, the Bible says that Peter had been filled with the Holy Spirit. By the way, Peter was one of these guys that was naturally bold. That was can I say this? I'll meet him in heaven one day. That could be very offensive, not all the time, but could be. I'm sure he was a fun guy. But but said some things he shouldn't say. He had a natural boldness. But this boldness here was not that kind of a personality boldness. It was a boldness from the Holy Spirit. Because a few verses earlier, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 4 and verse 13, the Bible says that when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, now John was an introvert. John was not an extrovert. And the people perceived, look at this, that they were unlearned and ignorant men. And that doesn't mean that they didn't know how to... Right, It just means they hadn't gone to seminary. They hadn't gone to the approved colleges of the religious people. They marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. They saw their boldness. Now, the word boldness there, get this. It means to speak with freedom and without reservation. That's what it means. It doesn't mean harshness. It doesn't mean to speak without a loud, with a loud voice doesn't mean that. It means to speak freely and without reservation. That's what it means all through the New Testament. In the same chapter, Acts chapter 4 and verse 29, there's a prayer. Notice this, Acts 4:29. Notice what the prayer is for. and now Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that what look at this, that all boldness, They may speak thy word. You see that? They're they're asking God to give them boldness. Again, not brusqueness, not brashness, not harshness, but freedom with their words. God, give us a courage of sorts. Give us a a reservation. uh, Take the reservation, the hindrance of our speech away. Help us to say what needs to be said. That was their prayer. That's in verse 29. Two verses later in verse 31. And when they had prayed, because I'm telling you to pray for boldness, and this is what they did. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake, look at this, they spake the word of God with boldness. Now, if you know, what's the first fruit of the Spirit? It's love. That means they spoke in boldness with love and, and tenderness and kindness and compassion. So I want you to get this because some of you have backgrounds, or you you get a vision in your mind when I'm talking about boldness. Maybe you have a bold father, or you have a bold. You say, "Well, I don't want to be like I, I'm not. This is not whatever that image is." The word bold means to speak with freedom and liberty and say what needs to be said in a very compassionate, proper way. And without a script and a conversation. In Acts chapter 14 and verse 13, again, of these early disciples, long time therefore abode they, they were in iconium in a very difficult situation. I wish I could show you the context. They speaking boldly in the Lord. They speaking boldly in the Lord. And as you go through the book of Acts and through the New Testament, you see that their effectiveness was dovetailing with their boldness. Listen, church, listen. If you want to be effective, you need to pray for compassion. and You need to pray for boldness. Pray for Boldness. Sometimes you may want to put some bullet points you want to cover in a conversation and you may not get to all of them. It may take on a whole new life of its own, but you want to get to the gospel that Jesus died for you. You've broken God's law. I broke God's law. I broke God's heart. I did it too. And you have. And if you don't repent... Here's what the Bible says, and I'm concerned for you. Did you know, you think about the Apostle Paul, and you see, we we again, we have these images of who Paul was and how courageous he was and what a trailblazer he was. And I was reading some scripture Wednesday night with our, our group over here. We were talking about leadership. And it's hard to imagine that Paul was filled with fear. He told Timothy there, and second Timothy 1:7 that God didn't give us a spirit of fear and timidity why did he say that because there, you know before Paul's conversion he 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 was brash and angry and powerful and then God began to purge him of that and I believe he hated that part of his life and and that part of him and then I believe I'll show you why I believe this in a moment. He he became somewhat timid in some ways, and in Ephesians chapter six, you see the struggle that he had for to say what he needed to say. Sometimes, Ephesians chapter six and verse eighteen, he says, "Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching there too with all perseverance." Now, watch this and supplication for all saints. And he's telling that this is how you pray for everybody, for all saints. And I wish I had time to go through all of these words. And usually I would, but I'm out of time. Watching means staying up and and giving much prayer in, in these types of persevering prayer. But notice in verse 19, And for me, now this is my prayer request. Now, you need to do this for all the saints. But for me, that utterance that when I speak may be given unto me, that when I preach. Paul said that I may open my mouth. And here it is, boldly. Now, why did he ask for that? If he had a personality that, that gave himself, why did he need this? That I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds. Because he was in prison in Rome and he represented Christ. That therein, that is in jail, that therein I may speak boldly. There, The second time in the text he, he says I want to speak boldly as I ought to speak You know what he's saying? I have a supernatural need. I have a supernatural request. There's only one person that can help me with this. And it's God. And I'm asking the church at Ephesus. And here's here's my prayer request. Here's a request to pray for everybody, but here's my request. That I'm in jail. That I can speak boldly. And when you read at the end of the book of Philippians, you read of the jailers and the, the house of Caesar and these converts that had been won to Christ because of Paul's boldness. But it was an answer to their, their prayer for him. In First Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 2, Paul wrote the Thessalonians, he says, But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi. What happened at Philippi? Remember the Philippian jailer? Remember how he and Silas were beaten and thrown in jail there? We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. Now, this was in the area where the Thessalonian church was born. Had it not been for Paul's boldness at Philippi, humanly speaking, there would be no church at Thessalonica. And that's what he's saying in First Thessalonians 2 2. My boldness there, not my brashness, not my brusqueness, not my arrogance, but my, my willingness to say what I needed to say in humility. Direct, yes. Truth, yes. Boldness, yes. But not just in my personality. I'll tell you what, I'll, t- I'll tell them. Give me the phone, I'll let them have it. You better hang that phone up. You're not, you're not going to reach them. You cannot reach people without boldness. How many of you have ever heard the statement preach the gospel and, if necessary, use words? You ever heard that? Well, I understand the gist of it, but it's not true. Because the gospel has words to it. Now we become the outgrowth of the gospel because we are the fruits of the gospel. And we preach by our life. But again, I'll say it, people aren't saved by my life. I never saved anybody. So when you hear preach the gospel and if necessary use words, that becomes an excuse where I don't don't have to tell people you need to pray for boldness. When Esther found out that the Jews were about to be killed, and she, she began to sputter a little bit and hesitate, her uncle came to her and said, you need to do something. And so she risked her life and went into the king and told about the plan that had been hatched against the nation. And she made this statement in Esther chapter 8 and verse 6. For how, listen, how can I endure to see the evil that shall come upon my people? And how can I endure to see the destruction of my kindred? And when I read that verse, I think about my loved ones. And I'm older now, and a lot of my loved ones are passing away and gone. I still have some that are lost. But I want to ask you, when you read that, how can you endure? How can you hold back? How can you just keep waiting and being willing to endure to see the destruction that's going to come upon your friends and your loved ones one day? Not willing, not willing to give them the truth. And tell them that there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. The first step, the initial step in evangelism is praying. And I bid you today to, to pray for compassion and pray for boldness. I had a, a special relative in my life that uh, I was very close to. I loved him. I remember going out to his farm first time I ever shot a gun, it was a little pistol. was out at his farm. I was five years old. And I grew up and surrendered my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I surrendered my life to ministry and uh, moved back to Huntsville. He began to do my taxes. So he had access to how much money I made, and, and he loved me. He, he cared for me, but he didn't understand why that I would give my life to serve God. He didn't understand. It didn't make sense to him. And so he told a, a, a relative of mine, he said, I can't understand why Rick would, he here's what he said, I, he could make something of himself. He could do something with his life. Now, here's what he meant by that: He could make money. He could make a lot of money. He could do something. And every year he would get those tax returns, and he would go through that. And and as it were, it troubled him. And it's not like he he wrote me checks. That wasn't that wasn't the issue. He just he, he cared about me, and he felt like I was just limiting myself. He got very sick, and he had to have open-heart surgery. The night before the surgery, uh, I went up to see him. And uh, it was early the next day, and there were some friends of his that were there and waited and waited and waited till they left. And they left at 9.15, and the nurses let me stay in there. Finally, they left, and... We made a few words of small talk. I said, well, I'm, I'm going to leave in a few minutes. I don't want to keep you up. I said, the reason I came up here tonight, I began to weep. I said, I know you're having open heart surgery tomorrow. and said, so you know that I love you. But I remember what I said. I said, I got to know. I got to know. Usually these things work out. But if it doesn't work out, if something doesn't turn out right, what's going to happen with you? If it doesn't turn out right, where will you be in eternity? I gave him the gospel. This man who loved me, who never showed any emotion other than laughter, I never saw him cry. Tears began to pour down his face. And he said, he gave me a time in 1972, in the fall, I think it was October in 1972. He said, I did what you shared, and I trusted Christ in my Savior. And here's me with this man who I was so important to me, that I was listening to me, that I was having a conversation with. I didn't go in with a with this memorized script and I spoke with great compassion and I spoke with simplicity and I spoke with boldness and humility. But I don't want you to think that I've got this thing down because I don't. Our neighbor, we had a good neighbor for years and sometimes he'd cut our grass for us and I'd go over and talk to him and he was a good guy. He got sick and he got cancer and he wasn't doing well. And I would talk to him and I, I need to talk to him about his soul. Then we knew he'd been in the hospital and he'd come home. I said, i got to talk to him about his soul. On Christmas Eve, the kids came in and said, Dad, what's the ambulance out in front of so-and-so's house? I said, I don't know. Looked out in the front door, we saw the ambulance pulling someone out of the back of the ambulance, not putting them in, pulling them out of the back. So, Paula, what's what's going on? I I don't know. Paula went next door and talked to the lady next door, and she said he's been in the hospital. We didn't know this. Paula and I didn't know he's been in the hospital. She said, he, he's not doing well. He's not going to live real long. Paula came and told me, and I said, he came home because he wanted to be home during Christmas. He didn't want to be in the hospital. That was about six thirty, seven 7 o'clock on Christmas Eve. That night, I got my planner. And I wrote on December the 26th on the date. I wrote, visit, mister, and I wrote his name. That the day after Christmas, I was going to go see him. Because he didn't have long. And I purposed, I was going to go see this man. Because we had talked. But I never got a chance to because he passed away on Christmas Day. But I meant to but that wasn't good enough. You know, we we need a heart of compassion and we need boldness. I wonder, would you join me today in asking God to give you boldness? And would you do this? This week, is there someone in your circle, in your life, a best friend, a relative, a co-worker, a classmate that you need to speak boldly to? Not brusquely, not in a condescending way, but you need to kindly and lovingly and compassionately give them the gospel. And not wait till it's too late. Would you ask God to give you boldness? Would you pray with me? Would you do that? I want to pray in just a moment. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Wonder how many will say, "Rick." I, I need boldness. I need a compassionate boldness and I am thinking of someone the Holy Spirit has brought someone across my mind. and I want you to pray for me that this week or as soon as possible that God will be my helper and I would give the gospel, to this loved one, this friend, this co-worker, the person that I'm thinking about. That he would give me the boldness to speak plainly and have a conversation with them. I'd love to pray for you. I won't embarrass you, but I'd love to pray for you. If that's you, would you slip your hand up and slip it up and down. Our Heavenly Father, you see our hands and you see our hearts. Lord, you always honor your word. You said, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth and beareth precious seed shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. I pray that you would honor that promise in Psalm 126, 5 and 6 this week and next week and the week after. And bless these, my friends. Make us bold witnesses, compassionate witnesses. May there be sinners that are swept into the kingdom of God even this week because of what has transpired here this morning in Jesus name amen. Thank you for uh, being here. I hope that you will uh, pray pray this on a you know it's easy the preacher lives with his sermons and you kind of have a life, you go back to it. I kind of mess with this. But you would pray for these things on a daily basis, consistently. Maybe write it somewhere. Uh, God, give me compassion. Give me boldness. Give me a compassionate boldness. And ask him, he'll do that, okay? All righty. We're going to let you go, and let's go out and uh, reach others for Christ, okay? You're dismissed. Thank you. Love you.